0: You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara in St. Catharines, Ontario. For more information, please feel free to contact us by visiting our website, harvestniagara.ca. New sermon series today, starting a series called "Without Apology," uh, holding up the Word of God in an age of unbelief. And I want to get a copy of God's Word in your hands so you fall along. If you don't have one, uh, please st- stick up your hand. One of the ushers will be happy to get you one. Uh, but we're going to dig into for the next few weeks the doctrine of uh, the Word of God. And if you've been tracking with us since the beginning of the year, this is all going to start taking shape. I hope in your minds and hearts. Uh, we started the year with Revelation. Jesus speaks, preparing us uh, to live life now with urgency for the coming of Christ. And then over Christmas, we did a series on O oh, Worship the King, uh, corresponding with our second pillar, lifting high the name of Jesus in worship, uh, really getting our hearts engaged in the fact that uh, we are called, God says, to be worshipers in spirit and in truth. And if we miss worship, we miss life, for that's what God created us for. We don't learn to live until we learn to worship. And then at the beginning of the year, we started with a sermon series called uh, Pray Like Never Before, uh, corresponding with another pillar, uh, believing fervently in the power of prayer, uh, just unwrapping the, uh, the essence and necessity and the urgency of prayer and the beautiful gift God's given us that we can commune with Him and call out to Him for everything we need uh, through the power of prayer. And so we're going to keep on with the kind of the pillars coming back to the basics with getting into now uh, the Word of God and why we love and are so passionate about proclaiming and practicing the Word of God without apology. And quite honestly, I didn't plan on preaching this at this time in this year. Uh, as I started the year, as I went last summer and prayed about what the year was going to look like, this wasn't a part of the plans. And yet, as uh, the Lord has unwrapped the year, He's really placed upon my heart an urgency to get us back to the basics of our faith. And if there's ever a time to get back to believe, knowing what we believe and why we believe it and standing on the Word of God, it's now. Amen? Look at the world around us. It's okay to believe in anything but the word of God. Look at even believers around us, believers quote unquote who who claim to know Jesus but have nothing to do with the word of God, somehow thinking that there's a there's no correlation between the word of God and Jesus Christ. It's just it's it's astounding to me even within the Christian church Christians have such a mishmash ideas of what the word of God is that, that it's just so important for us to get cleared up and and believe it or not, I even have friends that are pastors that, that don't really follow the word of God anymore, and it just makes me scratch my head and be like, What? In the Christian church, 2016, there's different beliefs about the word of God. Into the Christian churches come liberalism. Liberalism is this, it's a belief that the word of God, that, that the Bible is not actually coming from God. It's, it's written by good men who have good intentions but make lots of mistakes. And so the liberal belief, the liberal theologians, liberal pastors would aim to merge the Bible, Bible teaching with secular science and modern thinking and, and within our North American church, this idea that of supernatural, out with the supernatural, and in with emphasizing things like social justice and peace and love and good living, which are right, but they diminish the God of the Bible. Another belief that's crept into our church today, not our church, I pray, but, but the Christian church's neo-Orthodox belief, the belief that the Bible contains the Word of God, as opposed to being the Word of God. And so the neo-Orthodox belief would say that, that Christ is the proper object of worship, and when the Bible provides a personal encounter with Jesus, it's inspired. So the Bible is only inspired as God's word when it has personal meaning to the reader. See what's backwards with that? And yet there's a third strain, the conservative strain, which I believe is the biblical strain. The conservative strain is this it is that the Bible is God's word, it is inspired by God Himself, and every single word recorded in this book is literally seen, literally seen as from God. In other words, God wrote a book and he gave it to us that we might know him and live in the fullness of his blessing. I have to be honest with you, some people in this room might be like, I come from that other background, but it matters what you believe about God's word. Do you believe that? It just matters what you believe about God's word. Wrong view of God leads to a wrong, wrong view of God's word leads to a wrong understanding of God. An improper view of God's Word leads to a life that can be not lived for God, but lived for yourself and something completely else. It matters that we believe the right things about God. And so we're just going to take four weeks leading up to Easter on the doctrine of the Word of God. And this is important. This is foundational. This is what our faith is made of. And so 2 Timothy 3.16, I am going to read it. And then I'm going to pray hard that God would help us in this, that he'd help us see properly and understand clearly what his word is, that we would grasp fully his intention uh, for what he's given us the Bible for. So let me read this. 2 Timothy 3:16, one verse today. You will see as I read it's it packed with power and meaning uh, for our lives. Let me read. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Let me pray God's blessing upon his word, and then we're just going to open it up and seek to understand. Father, we get on our knees before you today, calling out to you today, because we are so dependent upon you today. Lord, we thank you that you have created, created the universe, created us, that you have given us your holy word to help us know the reality of who you are and know how to live this life in relation to you. And yet, God, within each of us, we are completely incompetent and unable to understand the word of God without the power of the Holy Spirit coming and opening our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our hearts to believe. And so, God, what we're doing right now is a spiritual exercise that cannot be accomplished by man. And so we appeal to you, God. We implore you that you would help us now turn from the world, turn from our sin, and turn our eyes to Jesus. And help us understand exactly what your word is and what you intended for us. For God, within it, we find you and we find life. And Father, our heart's desire is that nobody here would miss either one of those things. So, God, this is urgent. This is important, and God, we need you for it. So God, I pray this morning that you'd quicken our hearts to the very things you want to speak to us. Speak, Lord, we're listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So just two quick points today, two quick points. And the first one is the first part of this sentence. It's right here. All Scripture is breathed out by God. Point number one, all Scripture comes straight from God you like, well, this is going to be a pretty obvious sermon, Pastor. I get this, and yet I understand there's going to be an obvious sermon for anyone who's been in the church for any length of time. But let me ask you this as we get into this. How many times do we come to the Word of God and we intellectually agree with all the things we know to be true, but yet somehow we walk with our hearts disconnected from the very things we know are real? And how often will we claim intellectually, we know that, the, that this is God's Word, and yet we, we we live in a completely different realm. And so I encourage you just to, to listen as the Word is preached, and to ask that God, in this moment, renew and reveal within you the, the awesome reality of what we hold here in our hands. Let me tell you, this is no ordinary book. Amen? This is not, this is not like a history textbook that you read in school. It's not like a, your favorite the top Top book that you have on your favorite list. This is, according to God's Word, according to God, the very words of God. It says here that all Scripture, all Scripture, how much of Scripture? All Scripture is God-breathed. Some people would argue that all Scripture, well, that's the New Testament, they really hadn't finished the New Testament yet. That's Old Testament stuff, so it's really just talking about the Old Testament. Actually, it's not. The, the word there, is, Scripture is graphe, and it's commonly used in the early church, not only of the Old Testament, but also of God's newly revealed Word in what would come to be called the New Testament. So it means the whole thing. When it says all Scripture, it means all Scripture from Genesis 1, 1 to Revelation, at the end of Revelation chapter 22. Every single word that we find in the collected Word of God, every story, every word, every thought is from God Himself it's god breathed it's breathed out by god the greek word for god breathed is theopnoustos theopnoustos it doesn't appear anywhere else in greek in the greek text whether biblical or non-biblical until here in this time this is the first time in all of history we find this word some think paul might have coined this phrase god and breathed i think god made the phrase up don't you to help us see the divine origin and the authority of the Bible. When we see God breathe, it literally means that God breathed it. The the words that we find on the page are God breathing them into book form for us. Think about how significant that really is. I think sometimes we as believers, we walk through life and we say we, we have the word of God, we understand it's the word of God, but we don't understand the vast significance of what we really hold in our hands. Think about that. This book is God. Breathed. You you hold the very words of God in your hands. The, the God of the universe, the God that spoke the universe into being, also spoke a book into being that we hold onto today. That's awesome. That's amazing. Uh, John, uh, sorry, John MacArthur says that this, that this is really. This term is trying to help us understand the origin and the distinctiveness of God Himself, that this this book comes from and is distinct to God. There's no other book on the planet that even comes close to paralleling the, the vastness of the Word of God. You know those talk to text apps we have where you can speak into your phone and it can like spell it out for you and you just press send. Aren't those fun? It never works for me. It always gets my words mixed up. But, th- but this, is, this is how God gave us the book in a, in a sort of way. He, he, he spoke, but not to a little machine that spelled it out for us. He spoke to human beings that then recorded every word of God. It is from God through man to us. How did we get the word of God, you might ask? I'm glad you asked because I want to tell you how we got the word of God. First Peter one ten to twelve and second Peter one twenty and twenty one tell us, I'll quote for you Second Peter one, twenty and twenty one. This is how God got the Word of God into our hands today in two thousand and sixteen. Knowing first of all that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but God's but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You get that? So God spoke, not into a little phone that regurgitated info. He spoke to men who then recorded it for us. Who wrote the, who wrote the Bible? God did. Whose thoughts are contained in the book of God? God's thoughts. Whose commands are in, in, in the word of God? God's commands. But he used human writers. And it's not just that God inspired the thoughts of human writers. He gave the very words to each individual that they would line up exactly as he intended. So some people get this mixed up and they think that God inspired just the thoughts. And so then the writers had their freedom to make it whatever they wanted. Sort of like you know sportscasters. And so they have in their little ear the in-ear. And so they get the stats on the players and the teams and they make up the color commentary around it and kind of make it, give their own opinions and what they think. And some people think that's the way God gave us his word. That's not the way God gave us his word at all. He inspired every single word exactly as he intended for our benefit. Sometimes... It was straight out of dictation. Like a court clerk. Court clerks sit there and they just type. And everything that's said, they type it word for word. Sometimes God told his people to type word for word what I'm telling you, like in Revelation. We just studied Revelation in the fall, and remember every letter starts with this: to the church at, to the angel of the church at write. right. Right? So they're there like, "Mm -hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, what's that, Mm mm-hmm? They wrote word for word. Most of the time, though, it was this, it was was God giving word for word to his people what he wanted to communicate, and then they would communicate that within their own personality, their own mind, their own expression, their own own emotion, and their own style. And so sort of like some politicians do speeches, they have the little in-ear-in as well, and Somebody is feeding them every single word they're saying, but it's coming out with their own flair, their own personality. That's how God got us his word. And so when you see the names of people on the books of the Bible, it's not the people that we're supposed to be like, oh, wow, they're such a good writer, look at their life. The name behind the people is always God. God. And so the names of the people on the books are simply the story of which the person is about or the person in which God has used to write the story that he wanted to write. And so the people that wrote the Bible were simply the pen in the hand of the master writer. And they recorded for us everything that God wants us to know in the exact way that God wants us to receive it. The theological term for this is verbally inspired. The Bible is verbally inspired. It's inspired by God. This is what the prophets believed. This is what the the, the early church believed. This is what God says His Word is. And He made it abundantly clear to us that we wouldn't miss it. Throughout all the scriptures, God says over and over and over again, this is the word of the Lord. This is God's word. This is from God to you, so that we wouldn't miss it. This is one of the big claims of scripture, is that we are holding in our hands the word of God. And God so desperately wanted us to not miss this, that he said it, Literally thousands of times in the Bible so that we couldn't sit here and argue today, well, is this really of God or is this of Peter? Is this really of God or is this of Moses? Listen to this. One commentator points out that in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, 680 times at least there is claim to divine inspiration just in the first five books of the Bible. 680 times. I don't know about you, but I think if someone's going to tell you something 680 times, they really want you to know it. If I say things to my son or daughter three or four times, I'm like, hey, I already said it three or four times. Don't you think I really mean this? 680 times, but it doesn't stop there. In the historical books, there's 418 times it's been recorded that this is the Word of God. 195 times in the poetic books. And 1307 times in the prophetic books of the Bible. Think God had a message for us? He didn't want us debating. He didn't want us wondering. He didn't want us thinking. He didn't want us dismissing part of the Bible. He wants us to know that this is the divine word of God. The New Testament is as equally powerful. New Testament contains more than 300 direct quotations of the Old Testament, and at least 1,000 indirect references from the Old Testament almost all of them declaring or implying that they were God's own word. Jesus himself affirms both the Old Testament, Matthew 5, 18, and many times the New Testament. If you, the book of Hebrews, if you flip to the book of Hebrews, it opens with this declaration. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days he has spoken to us in his Son. Really what the writer there is doing is trying to help us see it's old and new that's inspired by God. Old Testament, the prophets representing the Old Testament, his son representing all the New Testament. As you read through the New Testament, every writer is writing clearly like, this is from God with urgency to you. At the end of Revelation, the end of Revelation, the end of chapter 22, one of the last things God says to wrap up that book with the whole Bible is this, is this is the word of God, Don't mess with it. You can't add to it. You can't take away. This is the Word of God. And yet, still, we have so many that fight it and choose to believe something other than what God says. John Wesley says this this book had to be written by one of three people good men bad men, or God. It could have been written by good men because they said it was inspired and a revelation of God. Good men don't lie and deceive. It could have been written by bad men because bad men would not write something that would condemn themselves. It only leaves one conclusion. It was given by divine inspiration of God given by divine inspiration of God. When when was the last time you really stopped to think about the reality of what we are privileged to have multiple copies of in our houses and the significance of what we hold in our hands? My fear is that we as as Christians, we we come to take this book as glibly and, and, and we sort of shrug it off and we celebrate theological things, but, but we, we don't cherish the Word of God in our hearts. We, we, we don't study the Word of God that to know God that God would want us to. We, we miss the full significance of the Word of God and then in turn the power of God and the life of God in us. And then we don't even hold it out to the people in the world that need to know God because even though we say we believe it, we deep down have maybe doubts or questions whether this is really what we say it is. And yet, do you realize the, the length that God went to, not just to get us the Bible, but to preserve it for us, that we could hold it in 2016? You ever wonder how we got the Bible? Anyone ever wonder how we got the Bible? Are you with me? Am I just going too fast? Here's how we got the canon. Here's how we got the Bible in our hands today. The, the canon being the 66 books of the Bible, all the New Testament inspired. Started when Moses went up to the mountain in Exodus uh, 20, 19, and 20. And he went up and he, remember, he what did he do up the mountain? He met with, and what did God do? Spoke to him. What did, what did Moses do? He brought down the Ten Commandments, right, in the tablet, and his face was glowing, and everyone else was like, ah, Moses, you're too bright. I've just been with God. Well, they're like, that's obvious, because you don't shine like that normally. And so they're like, well, wow, like, he has something from God and even says here in, in Exodus thirty-one that, that the ten Commandments were written with the finger of God. It says in Exodus thirty two sixteen it was the writings of God, and the people realize that and they're like, Man, these are the these are truly the writings of God. We we better hold on to these. We better just like put these on a shelf and like forget about them. We better hold on to them. Let's put them in the vault. Let's put them in the Ark of the Covenant so they'll be safe, close to the presence of God. And that's where the canon started. And that was the first document in the canon, the Ten Commandments. And then from there, they started... Anytime somebody who'd clearly been with God had something to say and wrote it down, they started putting them in this little collection called the canon in the Ark of the Covenant. They started collecting. So Moses, they collected Moses' writings. And Joshua and Samuel and David and the Daniel and Nehemiah, the prophets. And into the New Testament, Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and Paul and Peter and... Started taking note of, hey, these guys are obviously with God. And, and then what they do is, they, when the writings would come, they say, well, it all adds up. So they take the writing and say, they're obviously with God, and it adds every, it, It's not contradictory to everything we have so far, so let's put it in there as well. And they kept doing that year after year after year until we have uh, what we have here is the, the canon, the 66 books of the Bible. Here's how, John, or here's how Wayne Grudem tells us this whole process took place. Here's the criteria for whether uh, something should be in the canon or not. If the words of the book are God's words, obviously through human authors, and if the early church, under the direction of the apostles, men who had been with Jesus, get, get that term straight, some people say, I'm an apostle. You haven't been with Jesus, you're not an apostle, all right? The apostles, the men who had been with Jesus, then they preserved the book as part of the scriptures, and so then they put the book in the canon. And so then year after year they added to this and, and within that time God raised up scribes, uh, the, uh, the priestly lines, line scribes who were so reverent and so in awe of the scriptures that they dedicated their whole lives to simply copying the scriptures for us to make sure we have the exact copies. Men and women who, who, who were like their whole life revolved around what do, you, what do you do for a living? I copy the scriptures in painful detail. Every single day. That's intense. The most intense of the scribes were the Masoretic scribes, um, AD five hundred to nine hundred, and they took their job to copy the text so seriously that it would put any of us to shame in anything that we do. Did you think you're you OCDc or you think you're meticulous? Wait to hear what the scribes did, how they made sure that they copied the scriptures. Their day would start with a ceremonial cleansing of not just washing their hands, they'd cleanse their whole bodies. Then they'd get dressed up in the full Jewish garb and they would grab the clean skin of an animal, so like a pure pure, uh, piece of paper to work with. They would measure each column exactly in the old, the one they're copying, and then map it out on the next page. They would transpose, not sentence for sentence, not word for word, letter for letter. They weren't allowed to like the word bull. They weren't allowed to like, hey, bull, bull. They'd be like, B, B. I could never do this job. You, you. It's bull already. You know what I mean? It's clear. Letter for letter, they would transpose. Before they start the name of God, they would not be able to use a pen dipped in fresh ink to start the name of God in case it would smudge. Once they started the name of God, they could not stop writing it until it was finished. Even if the king were to walk in the room, if the king were to walk in the room, they could not look up until the name of God was finished. Any blotches? Any errors? Whoosh, in the garbage start over again. Wouldn't that be frustrating? Copying out your kid runs the room. Hey, Dad! Ah! Ah! That would drive me crazy. Meticulous they were. At the end of it, before they, before they authenticated that this was an exact replica of this, you know what they would do? They'd go back to the original account, every letter of the alphabet, and see how many times it's, it's represented in this copy. And they'd go back to this copy, the new one, and make sure they're matched. Wow, hey? So meticulous were the scribes. We always debated this, right? We always debated. Were they, were, do, we really have what's, do we really have what's real? Do we really have what's real in our hands? today? So how do we know it wasn't like the phone game in youth group? You know, and, the beginning of the guy tells you, you know, Fred went to the circus yesterday and bought an elephant and by the end it's like, Mary ate pizza. You know, you've seen that game where they go around and how do we know that didn't happen? Well, God went to great lengths not just to make sure it was copied but to preserve the text. And so in around the 1950s, some archaeologists and some shepherd boys in the Qumran caves in, in Israel, they, they, they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. You ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? And they dated back to like 125 B.C., and so they're like, man, these are the oldest manuscripts we have. These are like by a thousand years older than anything we have. Let's put these together, the Bible today, and see what we got. And so they put them together with a Bible from today, the original manuscripts that God preserved in a cave from 125 B.C. till 1950. He put them together, and guess what? 95% exactly the same. And you're like, ha 5%. I know you're thinking that, right? <laughs> so we can't be 100% sure. Of the 5%, it's like... Little word, little alphabet notations or style things. Nothing, nothing affected the meaning or the understanding of the text. That's a miracle. Because when we went to Israel, we went to see the museum where the Dead Sea Scrolls are, and they have them all now in this like nice container with like temperature gauge and everything. We're like, God preserved them for like from one twenty five BC to nineteen fifty. I think they're okay. And now we got to take you. Know, That's a miracle. In fact, the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 53, get this, of the 166 words in Isaiah 53, from the copy of 125 B.C. to the copy of today, there's only 166 words, 17 letters in question. The only variations were very extremely minor spelling and style. You don't think God wants us to know that this is unequivocally, no questions asked, the Word of God? This is God's Word. If there's ever any doubt, God keeps revealing over and over, nope, nope, this is. It says it right there, like you don't have to be a rocket scientist. It says it in here a thousand times, so you get it. And now I've given you so many other things just to prove that, hey, this is what I say it is. When you open it up and read it, guess what? You can believe that every word in here is of God and it's true. This is a book, not a fable and myth. This is a book of real people in real places to you and I from God. I always knew that. This whole idea—I've studied this a lot in my life. This whole idea—all scripture is breathed out by God. I, I knew it was real. I, I trusted it was real. God, by the Holy Spirit, showed me it was real. But you know what was a real defining moment for me in the past couple of years of like this all becoming like so overwhelmingly like blow your mind real? Is two years ago we went to Israel, and my wife and I got to go and and here's what the Bible says, and lo, lo and behold, here it is. Oh, there actually is. There actually is a a place called Jerusalem with with walls exactly where they said they were, and you can touch them. And you're like, wow, that is amazing. These are the walls that the Bible talks about. And then we stood in Herod's palace, and we're like, this is the palace that Herod built. Wow! And stood in places where where Paul was on his missionary journey. He's like, yep, this is exactly where it says it was. And he got to float in the Dead Sea and dip our toe in the Jordan River, stand on Mount Carmel, and hike through Hezekiah's tunnel, the tunnel that Hezekiah built, and you're like, yeah, well, whatever. It's real, and it's tiny, and it's tight, and it's scary, and it's a long trip. If you're claustrophobic like me, don't go in there. That was bad news. Saying sang Amazing Grace about a thousand times to get to the other end of that. <laughs> and as we stood out of the east gate, you could look over the Garden of Gethsemane. Where, where Jesus was like, that wrestling went on, and, and there's olive trees still there. Some of them, you know, probably 2,000 years old, they think, and they were probably there when Jesus was. And Amazing. This book is 100% true from Genesis right to Revelation. When you open up the Old Testament and see how it all began in Genesis, you don't have to wonder, hey, how did this really, how did this really all start? I know it says that, but I just really don't get it. How do you think the world started? God spoke it into being. What does it say in Genesis? God spoke and the world happened. I know it says that, but there's no buts. This is what we have when even we get to... It's there on purpose for us. Get to the laws of Leviticus. Like, a lot has no meaning to us anymore. It's the laws of Leviticus. It has so much meaning for us. You know why? The laws of Leviticus show us how holy God really is. Even the temple passages, Pastor, where there's like all the mundane details of like, here's how the temple's going to look and what it's supposed to incorporate. I just skip over those. That shows us the order and the attention to detail of the God that we love and serve. Noah in Genesis nine and Phineas in in Numbers twenty five. Well, well, we we skip those stories. They're a little awkward. Like like God destroyed the whole earth, and then this guy Phineas was so upset with the immorality of God's people, he went and he skewered people in the middle of an immoral act with a spear. And that shouldn't be in the Bible, should it? Yes, it should. It shows us how how holy God hates sin and 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 his repulsiveness to the sin that corrupts the earth. Then you go to pastors like Hosea and Jonah, and you're like, are these are these really for real? Was, was Hosea really a guy who, who his wife cheated on him over and over and over, and he took her back and took her back and took her back? He was really a guy. You know what that shows us? It shows us how much God loves his children, even when we're unfaithful, God's faithful to us. And Jonah shows us even when we, want, when we turn our back on God, we outwardly say no to God, we run from God. Guess what? God still chases us down, and in his grace brings us back. The Old Testament is just as true as the New Testament you know people I run into today that's like, oh, it's red-letter Christian now. just red-letter Christian. I just read the red letters. Those are the ones that are really important, the red letters. The whole Bible is important. New Testament is just as important as the Old Testament for those that get stuck back there. The Gospels, we see Jesus in a clear representation of God our Savior. You get to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5-7. You see the upside-down kingdom that Jesus brought. It's completely different than we thought. Acts, how the church start? We know how the church started in Acts. God poured his Holy Spirit out on the church, and the church grew and began, and the fire of God's Spirit took over. Get to Paul's letters to the church, and James, and John, and Peter, and they teach us how to live as a result of Jesus, and in light of Jesus, and then Revelation comes, and we see we see Jesus revealed and what is to come. Every single thing you have in your Bible, that's my point, all scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture, everything, single thing you have in your Bible is there on purpose for your benefit, for your blessing. Even the genealogies, you know, the list of all the names. Well, here's who begat who, and begat who, begat. who. Cares who begat what? Those are there on purpose to confirm history and prophecy and teach us about the type of people God uses. Even the hard-to-hear passages on sin and destruction, we need them. The encouraging passages on love and promise and comfort and assurance, we need them. The hard-to-understand passages, that doesn't mean they're not from God. We should dismiss them. There's no filler in this book. There's nothing we don't need. All is inspired. None should be discounted. discounted. All of it should be known. Amen? And yet I wonder how many of us really, really hold tightly to the Word of God. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. Just put your finger in Matthew chapter 1. How many of us miss out on so much of who God is and what God wants to show us because we live in a day and age of this? Everyone got Matthew chapter 1? Just open up your Bible and hold it up like this. Just hold it up. We miss out on so much of God and so much of what God wants to show us. You know why? Because we think we only have to live in this part here and not this part. And yet, the whole counsel of God's Word is God breathed. How many books are in the Bible? How many books are in the Bible? Somebody. How many in the Old Testament? Do your math. How many in the New, then? 39 are in the Old? 27. All 66 books, 39 in the Old, 27 in the New, are of the Lord for you and I today in 2016. So many of us miss out on over half of what God wants for us because we spend ourselves in the red letters, which are very few, or just this part. And yet it's all good. It's all profitable. When God speaks, when the Bible speaks, God speaks. We spend far too much time debating the Bible instead of aiming to be in the Bible and knowing the Bible and living the Bible. It struck me as I was studying this week and as I was preparing this sermon just the significance of the fact that God has written a book for us and He's given it to us and and how I can so on a daily basis know that and then just kind of glibly run through it sometimes and man, do I want to know the fullness of the reality of God's Word in my heart and life and yours. I was thinking about this. You know, if... If one of these days coming up, I just happen to go to my mailbox, we have to go pick up our mail where we live, they don't come to our house, we have to go pick it up, and I were to open up the mailbox, and I were to have like a, a, a registered mail from God, and I were to know for sure it was of God to Daryl, like, can you imagine how exciting that would be? <gasps> of course, my first like it's not from God. But if I knew for sure, you know what I mean? <laughs> If I just knew for sure that it was, like, can you imagine how awesome that would be to have a personal note? We all want to hear from God, right? God, just I just want to hear from. Him. If we had, wouldn't it be awesome to have one of those in your mailbox? What would you do if you had, if you knew for sure it's a hundred percent authenticated message from God? To you, what would you do with that? Man, I would pull it. I probably would not need the parking lot. I'd be like sitting in the car reading it. Probably. Calling a few people, probably take it home, like gather around kids, gather around kids. Come on, Ruth, look at the message that God has for me today. This is awesome. Like, like, let's read it again. Let's read it again. Let's read it one more time. Let's protect this thing. Let's cherish it. Let's, let's hold on to it. It's going to go in my secret hiding place. I'm not going to tell you, you know, like, man, that'd be awesome to get a word from God, wouldn't it? And I was like, but, but do we realize that we already have gotten a word from God? to Daryl, from God. To, from God. This is the very words of God that we ought to cherish and love and remember the significance of on a daily basis. This is a game changer for all of us. This isn't just a book filled with interesting information. This is a game changer for all of us. Not only is this the very words of God, look what goes on, look what this passage goes on to say here. Point number two. Look what this passage goes on to say. It has so much real, live application for you and I today in 2016. Because not only is all Scripture breathed out by God, but get this, it's profitable. Genesis to Revelation is profitable for what? For teaching for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God or the woman of God might be competent, equipped for every good work. God gave us His Word to be our final authority. He gave us His Word to, to know Him by, to live by. God's Word is, is our final authority. These are what all these words really mean. All Scriptures breathed out by God and given to us on purpose. To teach us, to reprove us, to correct us, and to train us in righteousness, to be our final authority in life. Whether you agree with all that I'm saying or you disagree 100%, this, it doesn't change the reality of what this book is. It is our final authority in life. It's been given to us not to place it on our shelf, not to make a nice decoration on our coffee table, will be the centerpiece of our library. It's given to us to get into. If God spoke, then I don't not only need to get into it, I need to let it direct and dominate my life. It's been given to us as our final authority. Sola scriptura is what the reform movement says. It's our ultimate authority in all matters of faith and practice. This is it. It's from God, not just to say hey, it's a nice little pleasantry, it's just to be our ultimate authority in our lives. I know, I know already you hear that word authority, and you're like, I hate authority, I don't want authority. You think authority, you think boss, and he makes you do all the things you don't want to do, and you cringe because you don't want anyone telling you what to do. You hear authority, you think principal, the one who's standing over top of you, making sure you're doing your homework, and those kind of things. You think police who are catching you with the radar guns, and yet that's not the authority we're talking about here. That's this. This is this is good authority. This is this is authority of a heavenly Father who loves you, who is who is. Given you his authority for your blessing and for your protection to appoint you in the direction you ought to go, whose authority brings you blessing and joy as you know and walk with God your Savior. So, God's given us his word to be our authority. Look at what it says here it's profitable for us. This word is profitable for us. Do you believe that today? This word's just not a good suggestion of God. It's not just like, hey, if you feel like one day picking it up, it might be good for you. This is actually profitable. Profitable means it's for your ultimate good and benefit. It's for the highest profit in your life to know this book and to know this, this word. Have anything that you should spend your time reading that is going to profit your soul, guess what it is? God's word. More profit than Sports Illustrated, guys? And the fishing magazine that you read, and all the, all the lures and all the hunting strategies, this is way more profitable than that. More profitable than the latest decorating magazine ladies, and Susie Homemaker, whatever it's called, I don't know, Mary Martha, Martha Stewart, whoever she is, who cares? <laughs> that we can't miss, a, can't miss one, of her, one of her things, and more profitable than the stock markets, than the latest mystery or romance novel. Why is this so profitable? Why has God given us this word? And why does he say it's profitable for us? It's of our highest benefit. It's because only in this word do you find the life of God. Philippians 2.16 says, God's book is the word of life. Only in this word will you be informed to the full reality of who God is, his character and his nature. Who cares what your friends think? Who cares what the guy on the street says? Only in God's word will you find the true character of God. Only in God's word will you find the enlightenment of who you are. Who am I? Where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? Only in God's word will you find the answers to those things. Only in God's word will you find God's love and salvation he's given to us through Jesus Christ. Only in God's word will you find the guidance to walk along God's path of life. This book is of not just a little bit of profit to you, it is of all the profit to you in the world. So much so that you cannot afford to leave this book on your shelf 29, 23 hours and 59 minutes a day and only pick it up for a one and say, good, done, finished, thank you very much. Only in this book will you find the things that your soul really needs. Look at what it says here. You can't find these things anywhere else in the world. You can't find this in the help section of any bookstore. You can't find it on YouTube or any internet internet uh, website. You only find these things in the Word of God, that the things that are alive in your soul. Look what it's profitable for it's profitable for teaching. The Bible is my greatest teacher. It teaches me, it instructs me in the things of God. Paul used this word teaching 15 times in the pastoral epistles and 16 times, six more times in the New Testament. It's really emphasizing the importance of sound doctrine over heresy. Not just any kind of teaching, but teaching in biblical doctrine over heresy. Only in God's word will you find the truth of the word of God, the truth of God, the truth of man, the truth of Christ, the truth of redemption, the truth of the church, the truth of future things, including heaven and hell. This is not a secondary teacher for us. This is our primary teacher. Well, if it lines up with my opinion, then I'll go to the Bible. No, the Bible forms our opinions. I had some pretty good teachers. Pastor, you have no idea. My mom was a great teacher. My grade three teacher, she was really impactful for me. And then my my college mentor, man, they did a lot for me. Great, great, and great. But this is our ultimate teacher. And this surplants any other teacher that we have. Anything we've been taught from anywhere else that comes up against the Bible, guess what? That stuff gets thrown out and this stuff stays. You've heard of those Rate My Teacher sites? Rate my teacher sites, anyone? Teachers hate them. This book would be 100% on the rate my teacher site because it never goes wrong. It also does, it points out my wrong. It doesn't just teach me doctrine. It points out my wrong. Look what the next word is. It's reproof. Reproof means correction. It means sets me straight. It it means that, that God uses to rebuke me when I need rebuking. I hate that about the Bible. That's what I don't want to read it for because it rebukes me. But but this is this is a good thing for you because the Bible tells us we're all like sheep who go astray. We don't get it. We can't seem to walk in a straight line. We're like my daughter who comes out of our house and you try to put her in a straight line and guess what? She never goes in a straight line. You say, stay on the path. She To get to the car, she goes to this corner of the yard, back to the trees, over to this corner. And you know what we end up doing? We end up running around after going like, Maya, you got to... We're trying to... Tell her she's going the wrong way, right? You're going the wrong way. come this way. And here's the door handle. Like, get in. Buckle on. And you're like, whew. That was a chore. That's like all of us in life when it comes to spiritual things. We know where we're supposed to go. But we have this innate ability to like. And God needs to come behind us and chase after us like we do my daughter. You're going the wrong direction. Again, please stop. You're going to get hit by a car. You're not. Get it? God uses his word to do that, to rebuke us and point out the things that we're doing wrong. And it's not because God wants to rebuke you because he's trying to be a mean old God. It's because God loves you that he rebukes you. It's because God loves you that he puts things in the Bible that are convicting. Because he loves you too much to stand by and watch you ruin your life by the sin that we choose to indulge in. He loves you too much just to stand by and be like, huh, here they go again. Right for the open pit. And so he puts, he puts reproof in the Word of God to correct us and to show us where we're going wrong. And so I just want to encourage you, as you read the Bible, don't skip over those hard passages, the ones that make you blush, make you a little embarrassed, like, oh, he's talking about me again, I feel so bad about myself. You know why that's good? Because it helps you realize where you're going wrong, that you might repent of that and get back going in the right direction, that you might get back and get in the right direction, to get in the car and go with the Lord. Seeing our faults is not a bad thing that leads to repentance and change. But look what else it says. It doesn't, God's just not the God who's, who's yelling, wrong, did it wrong, did it wrong. Look what else he does. He corrects, he reproves. Yes, he rebukes because he loves you. He also corrects through his word. What does correct means It means he doesn't just tell you you're wrong, he actually points you in the right direction. This year, my son uh, on a soccer team has two coaches. We are talking about this last couple of weeks ago on the way home. And he's, uh, he's like, man, I love one of the coaches, not the other one. I'm like, why is it? Because one just yells all the time. Bad pass, too slow, kick it harder. So the other one actually comes along and says, hey, Zach, like, you did that wrong. But, you know, if you started holding your foot like this and you held it like this and pulled it up a little bit off the ground, you know, the ball would stop on your foot, then you could, like, kick it back, you know? He's like, the other one actually tells you how to do it. He's way better, Dad. He helps you become a better soccer player. That's what the word of God does. doesn't just point out all of our faults. God just wants to hammer me and put all my faults. He doesn't. He doesn't. He's not going to be like the coach that just yells. He wants to point it out so then he can come alongside and show you the right way to do it to help you do it better. Hey, you've been telling lies your whole life. You know what? Enough. Like, just start telling the truth now. You've been really good at, you've been really good at cheating. Well, why don't you start and do it the right way and you'll find blessing and joy in that. Instead of living with the person that you call the one you love, why don't you get married and, and, and go God's direction and live within God's design and you'll find much blessing there. Instead of doing it your own way, why don't you come along and join God and do it His way? Instead of being rebellious, be in agreement with God. See what I'm saying? That's what God's Word does. We can't miss the Word of God. See how important this is to us? We miss the Word of God. We bumble through life thinking we got it figured out. We have nothing figured out. Look what else it says here. It does. Trains us in righteousness. That's what God's word does. It trains us in righteousness. God's word is my personal, spiritual trainer. So many of us need a personal trainer. Just look at us. We need a personal trainer. We need personal trainers spiritually, too. We can't seem to motivate ourselves and get up and get to the gym and get in shape. The Word of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is our personal trainer. It trains us in righteousness. It shows us how to live for God in a righteous way. The Word of God actually actively molds me into the image of Christ. It shapes my thoughts, my worldview, my way of life. It's only through the Word of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that I can even grow in Christian character as a holy lifestyle. I can't will myself to do it. I can't try and do it on my own. It's as we get into the Word of God and allow God's Word to come and transform our hearts and our actions that we become like Jesus Christ. It's only as we let the Word of God dwell in us richly that the, the fat of sin melts off and our shape starts to look more like the image of Jesus Christ. It's my personal trainer, and finally, it's this. It helps me accomplish my purpose. It helps me accomplish my purpose. Look what it says here. The man of God or the woman of God may be competent. Do you realize you're incompetent without the Word of God? I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to live for the Lord without the Word of God. That's impossible. I'm going to do This week, I'm going to do it without God's Word. Then you are going to fall flat on your face. The Word of God... Gives us competence and equipping for every good work. It helps me accomplish the purpose that God has for me. Now doesn't equip you to give you like a head knowledge for a test, but equips you and strengthens you spiritually for the task at hand, gives you nourishment for your soul and instruction on how to serve the Lord wholeheartedly, gives you all that you need to accomplish God's plan for your life on earth. This is the word of God. Pretty phenomenal, don't you think? Pretty amazing. That what we have before us is our final authority from God Himself. That we don't have to wander and flounder through life. We don't have to wonder what happens at the end of this life. We know that we have God in this life if we accept Christ as our surrender ourselves to the Lordship of Christ and accept Him as our personal Savior. We know that we have God in this life and we know what's to come after this life an eternity with God forever in glory for those who repent of their sins and place their faith in Jesus. Oh, how I fear that we're losing the significance of the word of God in our lives, in our homes, in our church. May it never be so. May it never be so. Even check your own heart right now. How much value do you really place on God's word as evidenced by how much time you spend in it during the week? I can assure you of this. Close your eyes to God's word. You won't see God. God. Close your ears to God's Word, you won't hear God. Close your heart to God's Word, you won't experience God. But on the flip side, open your eyes to God's Word, you will see Christ fully. Open your ears to God, you will hear from God. Open your heart to God, and you will experience God completely through His Word. And then this is inspired, inspires us not just to hold up the Word of God without apology but to hold onto the word of God without apology and to hold out the word of God without apology in an age where unbelief and skepticism runs wild. And many people are missing out on God himself. Church, we've got to get back to the basics. We have to get back to the basics. It starts with an elevated view of God's word in our hearts. Let me pray that this would be so. So God, we, as we grasp a greater understanding this morning of what your word truly is and what it means to us, we can only stop and say, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for giving your son to us to come to pay the penalty for our sin, to die on the cross. We might have a relationship with you, an abundant life in Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, you've given us your holy words. You preserved over the centuries that we can be sure that here in 2016, we hold the very words of God himself. God, help us to grasp the significance of this. Father, I pray for those in this room that just everything I've said with all their hearts, they just don't believe it. Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, give them the ability to see and to hear and to understand and to believe. God, open their hearts to the truth of your word. This is a life changer, God. This is their, their, not just their present at stake, this is their future at stake. God, help every person here see the reality of your word for what it really is. God, for those in this room that know all these things, they've heard it all before, they're nodding in agreement, but their hearts are so far from this and disconnected from this. God, I pray that you'd stir within them again the reality of what the awesome word of God is and what it means to their lives. And God, I pray you'd stir our church to be a church that's actively engaged in the word of God, not just for an hour on Sunday mornings, but every single day as we love you and live for you and walk with you for your glory. God, I pray for those that get this and this just solidifies in their heads and hearts all that they've been doing and engaged in. Father, I pray for them that you would further give them a hunger for the word of God, that you strengthen them in the word of God, that you'd help them be a people who not just cherish the word of God in their hearts, but hold the word of God up in this age of unbelief and hold the word of God out to those who desperately need life in their souls through Jesus Christ. God, I pray we wouldn't just be a church that has a first pillar of saying we are unapologetic about the word of God, but we be a people who live unapologetically the word of God. And God, this can only happen by your spirit as you teach us, as you move us, as you shape us. So God, please let not one word from your word fall on deaf ears today and take this and do in our hearts what you need to do, what you want to do for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. For more information, please visit our website, harvestniagara.ca.